guys, brand new podcast. I am on tour right now. Go to burtburtburt.com to see my tour dates. If you're getting this, I'm probably just hitting Cedar Rapids, Green Bay, Peoria, Sioux City. And I'll also be in Austin hanging out if you want to see me in Austin. And then Florida's after that. Big Florida run. We got Tampa, Orlando, uh, Tallahassee, Jacksonville. By the way, first time back in Tallahassee in a while. So if you see me in Tallahassee, say hey. Jacksonville, Hollywood, and then uh, Fort Myers. And then the week after that is it's D.C., Boston, New York, and then back to Boston. Three shows at the Wang. Get your turkey tickets at burpburpurt.com. Today's podcast is a great one. It is a guy I've been a fan of for a very, very, very long time. He is an OG in the comedy game. He really is. He has been selling the theaters that we sell right now. See, there's something very important that you need to know about this is these days is a boom for comedy. You see a lot of us playing theaters that wouldn't normally have played theaters. Theaters were reserved for guys like Howie Mandel. This guy is a game changer. He was doing theaters when no one was doing theaters. His whole career is, his career is fascinating I don't know what we, I know we talk about a little bit about OCD. A lot about mental health, actually. We talk a lot about mental health. It's really good. Um, it's a really good podcast. And if you deal with mental health issues, like like we we find a lot of common ground because I have OCD. I don't know. I was told I have OCPD, which is obsessive compulsive personality disorder um, recently. I don't know if that's real or not. I don't know. Here's the deal. I get by the way I get by. and And that's what I'm doing right now. So um, if you're like me and that's not working for you, listen to what Howie says. Definitely getting help really helps you out. It does me. I'm in therapy right now. I don't know if I was in therapy at the time. Was I back in therapy? Yet? No, not yet. I wasn't in therapy at the time. And I had had the big spin out that we recover. We talked about it on Two Bears, but I really kind of like talked to it about him about it um, at the Denver airport with my family. And uh, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. Like, by the way, no passerby noticed it. It was just my daughters and my wife knew dad was having a rough morning and it was all internal and I couldn't get it. And I know it was bad. And I think that was when Leanne was like, all right, you're done with this. Um, Howie's got a new documentary called, but enough about me. I watched it. It's phenomenal. Him and his daughter have a podcast. He's got a whole podcast, uh, whole podcast empire. He's got the, he's got the, the big warehouse. We also take uh, a prank caller in the middle of this. Ladies and gentlemen, stand up comedy. OG. From St. Elsewhere, Howie Mandel. This is the He sanitized everything for you. And uh, by the way, I have OCD, so uh, I'm sorry. No, it, uh, I had a rough patch. We'll talk about it. Let's stop. I had a rough patch uh, in Denver. Recently? Uh, this weekend. Like, so notably bad that my wife and daughters are like, gave me that speech that you talked about in your documentary. And they're like, oh. you got to get help. Well, then go. Uh, it yeah. still almost fucking kills me every day. Yeah. No, we're not. Yes. Thank you. Um, if you told me when I was spending the night at Chris Huff's house when I was a kid, watching your specials, uh, that I would be sitting next to you doing talking doing a podcast. I would never believe it in a million years. I am such a fan. Well, thank you. I'm such a fan. You come from you come from the generation of comics where you go, "Well, I could never. How do they do that?" Like how like well, uh, probably the same way you did it. You know, the the truth of the matter is I didn't even watch uh comedy and I didn't it was a, a fucking dare 
That's how I got into it. You know, you we serious? talked about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I have, um, I have like issues and we'll talk about that in, in a minute, but I, I've like, and, and it's, you know, it's provided me with a career because I get some stories to tell about my issues and I'm, I'm really fucked up, you know, and I didn't have a lot of friends in school. I wasn't good in sports. I was tiny. I looked like a little girl at, at, in, in high school, I wanted to meet girls and I joined, uh, I talked about that in the documentary, but I joined, I couldn't get on any team. So the only team I can get on was wrestling because it's weight class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was under you 90. You were 4'10". You were 4'10". 4'10", 89 pounds and uh, wearing a onesie, uh, hugging. And I joined to meet girls, but now I'm just sweating <laughs> with uh, other guys, little guys, a lot of little guys just rolling around on a mat. It's not, I don't think it, it didn't feel like a sport. It didn't even feel like a, it felt like a bad date that I was, you know, like those kind of uh, an arranged marriage. Like they'd put me in my onesie. There'd be another guy who was as big as me, the same little yeah. peanut on the other side. And then we'd get together and hug and roll around and somebody would go, you won. <laughs> and that was, it wasn't a sport and I didn't meet any girls, but, but the, the, so I didn't, I don't dance, you know, that was in the, in the early seventies disco was the craze, you know, yeah. clubs, studio 54. I'm not from New York. I'm from, from Toronto, but, uh, you know, that was what people were doing or they were, um, playing sports or they were gambling, you know, getting together for a poker. I didn't have any friends and I was doing nothing. And somebody said to me one night, they're opening a comedy club and it was, it's called the Yuck Yucks. Have you yeah. ever, you, are you familiar played with Yuck Yucks? Yes. Yeah. So this is like right when it started. And uh, I'd never been to, uh, so what's a comedy club? I had never even been to a comedy. This is like before there were comedy clubs. Yeah. I know what comedy is. I know what a club what was. Year, what year is this? Probably 76, 77. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. mean, the first time I ever saw a comedy club was on, uh, was on Kennedy Boulevard in, in Tampa. I saw one on the corner. I was like, what is that? My what dad's- year was that? It's got to be 85. But that was already the proliferation of comedy. Like they hadn't, I know like even they had in, in New York, they had Catch a Rising Star and the improv, yeah. which didn't ring as comedy. Like Catch a Rising Star, um, because I know Rick Newman who, who opened it up. He opened it as a music club, a cabaret. So there'd be a Pat Benatar and then Richard Belzer. And yeah. then, you know, like it wasn't really traditionally a comedy club. And improv sounded like improv. And I'm from Toronto. We had SC... We had Second City. Yeah. So I thought that's what those clubs were. I'm going to go see a an unscripted play. I had no idea what I was about to see. So I went to Yuck Yucks and there were people my age uh, standing on stage uh, talking like I'd never heard it because I'd only watched uh, uh, stand-up comedy on television. And at that time, maybe The Tonight Show yeah. and, and you know, Murph Griffin in the afternoon. Yeah. And things. I didn't even hear who people was swear. The, who was the comic that you would have known of at the time? Because- like who was a comic that was on Carson? TV? Uh, um, Steve Martin as a stand-up comic, oh, okay, but I used yeah. to love watching even Woody Allen as a stand-up. I'm old. Yeah. I'm going to be uh, 66 this year, so I was God. watching. Yeah, so you look great for st- you look. Thank great. you, thank you. That's why I do podcasts. I feel like I look good. Oh, this is a video. <laughs> I thought it was just audio. I had no idea, but but I. Uh, uh, anyway, the point was that I went to the club. And it was so fucking funny. And I saw like, just in those days at 77, you know, it's really soft now. Yeah. But I heard people saying like, fuck and talk. And this was just amazing. And 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 talking about these bizarre things. And then Mark Breslin, who owns the club, yep. uh, came up and said, hey, if you think you can do it, 
you know, at midnight, we're going to feature some uh, amateurs and uh, or on Monday or whatever he said. And my, the guy that was, I was sitting with went, you should go up. And I went, OK, OK. And that's what I always do. I have uh, part of my mental health uh, issues are I don't I, I kind of just jump at everything and without thinking of ramifications, you know, and uh, I, should be, I should be taking down a list that I have that I I cannot say no. I have impulse control. Well, and, that's uh, and me too. And I mean, I, I signed up for a job on Travel Channel, traveling the world for nine years, and I don't like flying. I have a terrible fear of flying. No, I saw that. I, all that, and you on the roller coasters. And I, you I, that uh, uh, you hate I'm heights. Claustrophobic. I, I hate cla heights, and I'm getting in a roller coaster. And the thing about it is, I end up being in the midst of my. Well, the truth of the matter is, I'm agoraphobic. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm I'm uh, socially inept, and I am. You know, I've learned throughout the years the the skill of being able to sound a lot more comfortable than I am. But I'm really not. And the dichotomy between how I feel and what we do for a living yeah. is crazy. So here you are. You got a, you you took a job. You have all these fears. Every job makes you face your fears. So that's he said. You should get up. And I went. Yeah. No thought or preparation involved in what it took to get up on stage. Because I just, if I had to, in retrospect, there was no joke involved. There was no, I wasn't a stand-up comic. And if there was a joke involved, it was that they were going to go, ladies and gentlemen, Howie Mandel. Yeah. And then I was going to show up. And that's the joke. Because I'm not a comedian. <laughs> and he introduced me. And I'm going to... I, I got them. What? <laughs> Are they going to be surprised? And that was just so stupid. And then I went backstage on that day without any preparation. And, and they went, ladies and gentlemen, Howie Mandel. And then I, 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 I walked out and I thought, and here's where trouble starts. You know, like I, I just, I looked down at the audience after they, they uh, nicely out of courtesy applauded because I don't know why they applaud when they go, ladies and gentlemen, Howie Mandel. And I've never been anywhere before, but that's yeah. just what they do in clubs, <laughs> right? So they applauded. And then I looked down. I'd never been on stage, never been in front of a, <laughs> a, a spotlight. You know, you're blinded to the room and you can just see the people in the front. And then I had all these strangers just looking up at me and go, okay, funny boy, what the fuck you got? And, and I just remember the terror just surging through every fucking pore of my body, just looking down. And now it's like one of those dreams where you're just being humiliated, where you walk into a party naked in front of every stranger. And I'm just standing there and I go, okay. And, and nothing was coming to me, nothing. I was blank. And if you look at my old YouTube videos, that's what you're watching. It's just terror. So I would go, okay, 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 all right, all right, okay, okay. Well, and then they would giggle. Yeah, like you yeah, just did. Yeah. And, and I, I wouldn't understand. I go, what, what, what? Okay, all right, all right. Here's want to hear something? Did, yeah. did you hear that? You know, like just whatever fucking. And it was just constant terror. But people were laughing at my terror, and I had OCD at the time, also as I've continued to have. And I'm a germaphobe. And whenever I went out, I always took rubber gloves so that if I used a public restroom, I wasn't touching anything at the time. So I had a supply of surgical gloves. I put my my hands in my pocket and I had a glove and I was just so fucking scared. The glove came out. So I took the glove. I don't even know why I thought of this, but I put the glove on my head and pulled it over my nose and started breathing. The fingers were going up and down. The audience started roaring. And so I blew it up and just popped it on my head and went, good night. Just thinking that's my drop yeah. the mic moment and just wanted to fucking run home. And Mark uh, stopped me in the hall and he goes, that was great. I go, what? He goes, that was great. Come back tomorrow. And I go, what, what, what do you want me to do tomorrow? He goes, do that again. 
I go, what the fuck was that? You know, and it was nothing. And that became my act. And people who come up to me, even today, who people know me from years and years ago, will come up and go, what, what, what? Or do the rubber yeah. glove or do the hand, you know, and I had fucking nothing. And that was the dare that gets me here today. And, you know, you were watching specials and so I, I had no idea what I was doing. I got a young comedian special. We, the one we saw at Christoph's house was you in the round. That's already uh, 1989. Yeah, that's that, uh, or 80. I think around 18. How we well, would? It was. It was. It was right when we started discovering. Like we had seen. I had seen you. Um, I mean, I have. It's funny. I. 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 The vivid memories that that kind of tick onto my brain that I. I never forget. And one of the hardest I ever laughed. I can tell you the hardest I ever laughed at, at uh, on Carson uh, was when he did the thing with the thing where he had the genie hat on and he'd put the Karnak Karnak. And he says, uh, Kaj. And they're like, Kaj, Kaj. What's the And he question? opens and he goes, the sound a cow makes when it explodes. And I just <laughs> fell out. I remember, but one of the hardest I ever laughed. And I hope this memory is accurate because none of my memories are, are real these days. It feels like you on St. Elsewhere. Uh, and you had gotten an, an, an inserted penis pump. And you uh, said, he, you said, let me take this thing for a ride. And you, the guy in the thing next to you was uh, going through depression and you closed the curtain and you heard, you're like, That's so I'm nice. in that scene. It wasn't me that had the penis pump, but somebody did. And I was yeah. showing them how, yeah. And, and, and you heard, and then it was a, a bag exploding. Yeah. And then the curtain opened. And I remember watching that on St. Elsewhere dying laughing. And, and, uh, but it's funny. I, the, to hear the way you start and to hear the way your brain works because I got on stage my first time and with no idea what I would do, no set list, just going, I, I guess they figure it out when they get up there and did 30 minutes and just couldn't get me off stage. And I, and I didn't remember one word. And then I just moved to New York to do stand up, And then, well, that's, that's, you know, so we're very similar in the sense that, you know, it's just, and I think the audience kind of, uh, gloms on it's authentic to you. You know, I know, I know you and I've been following you and you were a party guy in Florida yeah. at the university and you decided to take your party onto the stage yeah. and that's just who you are and what you would have done rather than, you know, and, and I, respect and admire and kind of am jealous of the guys who have the discipline to sit down all day and you know craft words I, myself too you know and i've never i couldn't i've never done homework i don't like homework i don't like to do anything no besides wherever i am whatever happens happens i, I like just shit happens. That's my career, you know, and people think I, I feel blessed that even today I have a job. You know, I, I would have never dreamed from that one dare. It was actually, uh, I do remember April 19th, 1977. So from that one dare, here I am almost 66 years old, still being invited to a few parties. It's, it's, it's astounding to me because I look at your career and I think You've just one of the things that I'm obsessed with with comics is the moment when it goes away and you got to rebuild it and you got to refigure it out. And and I did not ever know that you had that moment. And I watched the documentary and you said just before Deal or No Deal. 2004, 2005, I was quitting. Yeah, uh, it was over. You know, it was really I had no, I didn't aspire to be in this business. I didn't know anything about show business. I didn't know anybody in show business. 
And when I came out here uh, again, I was at the comedy store and somebody saw me on, on at the comedy store and hired me for a show called make me laugh, which just aired here. But the first time you were on television, it's not like today. Today, people have like 600 channels and yeah. whatever. They have so many. But you were on TV. Your life changed the next day. Yeah. And I got seen from that. And I got on Merv Griffin. And then I did a Young Comedian special. The Young Comedian special I did was uh, the kids that were on were me, Seinfeld, yeah. Harry Anderson, Richard Lewis. And it was hosted by the Smothers Brothers. And uh, the day that aired, that was HBO. Not even a lot of people had HBO. I think we saw that one too. Yeah. The day after that aired, I could sell 10,000 seats. Oh. You know, because there weren't comedians. And then, you know, so I hired a guy, this guy named Andy Nullman, because I came from retail. That's what I was doing. So I understand retail and I understand selling. So I hired this guy, Andy Nullman, who I knew from Canada. And uh, he was a writer in the paper. And I told him, listen, you're with paper. All we got to do is we'll four wall things. And Gallagher was kind of doing that already. But I said, we'll rent out these rooms or these theaters. Yeah. And here's how you'll place the ads. And this is what we'll say. And then he promoted my whole tour. And I sold out like 10,000 seats, two shows a night that after my young comedian special everywhere. So much so that. Um, in- do you remember ticket prices back then? This I- I'm obsessed with this part of the business. 15 bucks, okay, 20 bucks, okay, okay. you know, 15, 20 bucks at the time. And then, and then um, the, we're from Canada and there was this French, little French Japerrière, uh was the name of this festival. And he was doing it just in French. And he saw what we were doing and Andy was doing with selling out me. So he said, uh, Gilbert was the guy's name. He said, I want to expand this into uh, English speaking. Will you help me promote it? So Andy left me as a promoter and went there that became just for laughs so that's crap yeah so i you know and and i you know i bought just for laughs just for laughs is uh, mine with it's me bell media and rogers for those that don't know no i didn't know that yeah i just did uh i just did something for just for laughs uh, the variety event uh, I'd had. Yeah. We, we partnered no, with Jeff. God dang. It's my, that's, that's so my, cool. I, I'm a partner in that. So, oh, uh, it's so cool. Yeah. So I bought it three <laughs> years ago. Uh, you know, I, I, I invested in it three years ago because I want to, and then as luck would have it, I had it for a year and then COVID hit. So yeah. we've been, you know, kind of circumventing whatever to just kind of, but it's going to come back bigger and better than ever. And, you know, for those that don't know, Anybody who's anybody has done something with JFL, if not been discovered from people from Chappelle to Kevin Hart to, and, and that's where people got to Tim Allen, Rosette. They all came out of just for laughs and they give us props for it. And um, Coachella runs 600,000 people through in the two weeks that they're here in the Valley. We run in Montreal, usually at the end of July, we'll run 2 million people through in the two weeks. It's the greatest event in comedy that, that festival because the bar at night i mean the shows are one thing but for a comic the bar at night the uh the breakfast place right on that corner the egg place just, oh wow yeah just having breakfast with your friends and guys you don't ever get to see uh hanging out in the corner at outside. the bar and also at the bar yeah, at the night. Bar, it's the best it is the best i tell event. everybody you know at the end of july you gotta go you will see people from all over the world people you know people who are icons people who are going to become icons it's just the f- most fun 
epic thing to uh, be part of. So I'm thrilled that I'm a part of that. But I was I was like this young kid who didn't know. It, I had done these things. Michael Nesmith called me after that. You know, from the from the monkeys. Yeah, and he, he said <laughs> he did. And, and I always got the weirdest calls at the beginning of my career. I was this guy that was selling shit from Canada. Like I'll tell you. The, so the first call off of make me laugh was um, uh, Gene Simmons from Kiss. Kiss was at its height you know, at the time. And Gene Simmons says, you're very funny. He saw me in Merv Griffin. He said, you're very funny. I said, thank you. He goes, you want to open for my girlfriend? And I go, oh, okay. And who, do, you know, who, do, you, do you know who it is, Alston? Can you guess? Gene Simmons' Gene girlfriend? Simmons' girlfriend, 1981. No, no. no. Uh, it's uh, Diana Ross. He was living with Diana Ross. And I became Diana Ross's opening act. In at Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas, which where they hated me every fucking night because the <laughs> the lights would go down and the crowd would roar and they'd hear, ladies and gentlemen, Caesar's Palace is proud to present an evening of Diana Ross. And you, ah, ah. if you listen really closely, no, Howie Mandel, and and I would walk out and people would just look at me like, when the fuck is this going to end? <laughs> it was just horrible. They hated me, except I got called into uh, Diana's dressing room after a week thinking, oh, well, she's going to fire me. I haven't gotten a laugh all yeah. week. And uh, she's going to fire me. And I can't wait for this. I just want to be fired. I want to go home. <laughs> I just want to, I don't like this business. And she she called me in her dressing room and said, you're so funny. We're going to keep you on. And hired me for another uh, like uh, 28 shows. Wow. You know, I know. Wow. It was, uh, and I was so upset that I got hired and that she <laughs> loved me. But even to, to to this day i just went to her 75th birthday you know so i have a connection to her i got helped by a lot of people but i was telling you about mike nesmith called me and said you know i have a funny idea um the idea is because i think you're so funny and he called me and do you know who charles fleischer is of course i do yeah yeah me and charles fleischer uh who uh was roger rabbit actually yeah and he was on a show called welcome back cotter at the time he was the bad guy that nobody liked in the room and he brought us up to monterey uh california and he said, what I want you to do is I want you, I'm going to shoot. He'd done this video called Elephant Parts, which was just a, a, a musical video. Yeah. He goes, I'm going to shoot some musical videos, movies of uh, music groups. And I want you to present them and make fun of them. And we, we did it. And it's going to be called Pop Clips. Now, if you Google Pop Clips, your buddy, go Google, Google Pop Clips. This is a little bit of trivia. Pop Clips and Howie Mandel. Watch this. It comes up on your thing. So I, me and Charles Fleischer did it. And what does it say in, in uh, go to all, not, I'm not, not videos, just go, go to all, like what a story about it. No, Wikipedia, click Wikipedia. on all you're in. Yeah. Wikipedia. What, Wikipedia. Well, there it is. What, what does it say? Wikipedia. What does that say? This is, it was unbelievable to me. Pop clips is a music video television program, the direct predecessor of MTV. So, so they said, so we did this pilot pop clips and we, we did pop clips. They sent it in. It says, we got good news and we have bad news. And Michael called me and said, what's the good news? They bought it. And what's the bad news? Well, they bought it. They don't want to do pop clips. They bought it. They're going to just do a network. So it became a network. And that became, that was the predecessor. That's where they had the idea and they opened it to uh, MTV. And in the first two years of MTV or one of the couple of years I did their New Year's Rock and Eve, uh, I did that with for MTV. But to be to think that you do something and then that becomes, I, I think you know, MTV is just always seems like it's always been there. 
I've been wanting the girls and Leanne to get involved in some sort of martial arts or, or, or at least combat sport just so that they know what to do if shit ever arises. But quite honestly, I'm never here. And that's when I found out about Fight Camp. Fight Camp brings the boxing and kickboxing gyms right into your home with full body workouts that actually you actually look forward to and a freestanding punching bag that can take the hardest of hits. Fight Camp is made for beginners to experienced boxers. It comes with all the gear you need to box at your house, including a freestanding punching bag, boxing gloves, quick hand wraps, and their unique punching tracking sensor that challenges you to hit minimum amount of punches each round and allow you to track your boxing and kickboxing journey so you can see the progress that you're making. It's great for kids. Fight Camp is one of the only home workouts that's safe for kids to do because there's no heavyweights, there's no spinning wheels, and as most people get fight camp bags the kids are always the first to walk up and want to try it learn from six highly qualified trainers with all having real fight experience ranging from pro mma fighters to the mother of two kickboxing champ fight camp uses new tech that tracks you throwing each punch to measure speed volume and output so you can track your progress push yourself and to compete on the community leaderboard and challenge others to do you or versus you and you versus new mode you can pay for your fight camp over 24 months for less than the cost of a boxing gym. God, how great is that? And you get it right away. Plus, fight camp offers free shipping with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So just go to joinfightcamp.com slash Bert to get free shipping on fight camp. Go to joinfightcamp.com slash Bert. Joinfightcamp.com slash Bert. If you own a business, you know there aren't enough hours in the day to waste time playing phone tag. The list of customers you need to reach doesn't get any shorter, especially when business is good. That's why local businesses everywhere are turning to Podium. Podium makes every interaction as easy as sending a text. So that makes your business great and getting done way faster. Podium isn't just a better way to communicate. It's a better way to do everything. Gathering reviews, collecting payments, even marketing to your customers. Podium makes it all as easy as press and send. And you don't just free up more time. You'll grow your business and get more done. With Podium, you're going to close deals with customers for the competition, even as a chance to call them back. Join more than 100,000 businesses that already use Podium to streamline their customer interaction. Get started for free at podium.com slash Bert or sign up for a paid Podium account and get a free credit card reader. Restrictions apply. That's podium.com slash Bert. Uh, I remember when they came out with MTV, Chris Suarez pitched it to me. We were in my backyard. I was maybe 10 or 11. Yeah. And he said, maybe, thanks, Olsen. What, we, are we taking calls? No, my uh, my, no, number, my number got leaked. And so it's, can I just shut oh, the... Oh, well, let's answer it. No, you don't want to answer it. Why? It's uh, it's fans that just yeah. call nonstop. Okay call on my computer but i can say they got my phone instead of yours <laughs> that's your answer go hi and i'll go this is howie mandel how the fuck did you get my number how the fuck did you get my number? let me answer him are you bringing it in halston he hung up i heard it stop ringing call him did back. it stop ringing it was a facetime actually it's a facetime okay so just be me here let's here. i love uh fucking with people more than just talking to people did you just call here. me yeah i'll put it but the, 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 should, they should not see you. They'll no, no, see no, no. you in that. Hi, why did you call me? Why did you call me? Hello? Turn off the jackhammer. Why did you phone me? 
Do what? You just called me. Oh, shit, my bad. Did you just call me? Uh, I'm not sure. It's Howie Mandel. You just hung up. No. There's no way that that's Howie Mandel. Yeah, it is. You just dialed me and I dialed back. You hung up the phone. Well, I was right in the middle of something. What is it that you need? I just found, I just saw the number on uh, Reddit. What number did, is my number on Reddit? If, shit, it must be. What do you want? I don't want anything. Well, why would you call? Just because you saw a number. Dude, it's Howie Mandel. Bert fucking Kreischer. And I take his calls. Hey, Bert just hired me as a receptionist. This is my first fucking day. And you call, you hang up. I call you back and you act like an asshole. You don't even know what the fuck you're calling. And why would you make a phone call right in the middle of jackhammering? I'm mowing grass. <laughs> why would you mow grass with a fucking jackhammer? Get a lawnmower. I got one. <laughs> I know, I was kidding. Still. Hey, man, it was good talking to you. Have a good day, okay? Yeah, All right, buddy, take care. They posted you on Reddit? Yeah, they posted me on Reddit. I love, that. I love when people are uncomfortable. Yeah, I love that he goes, what? Oh, that's Howie Mandel? Wait, I'm <laughs> sorry, I got you. No, I got it off Reddit. I, I, just, I, just, I don't know. He was mowing the fucking lawn. No, but he sees me. He sees me and I go, you just called. And he goes, no, I didn't, I didn't call. And then he sees you and goes, no fucking way. That's who he called. He called you. Yeah, yeah, Why yeah. Why are you no fucking way? <laughs> My number got leaked on Reddit and that happens. I had to get a new phone number. It happens all day, every day. Yeah, but when you get a new phone number, you have to get rid of the old one. Otherwise, you're still taking the calls. What happened is, so I got the, I keep, I'm keeping the old number. Don't give that. You're out, you're broadcasting now. No, I'm keeping the old number. But um, what I what it, it's happened is, is tethered to my computer. Mm -hmm. That old phone and this phone are tethered to my computer. So the FaceTimes come up. I was just in a I was just in a meeting. I was in a producer's meeting and it just it just happened nonstop and I'm on Zoom and I'm like click 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 click. You doing season two of Go Big? No, we just did it. We just did it. But can I tell you something? What? I said this is gonna sound horrible, but I'm sitting on the thing and I go, I'm doing a pretty good job on this. And I was talking to Rosario Dawson. I go, I th I think really honestly think people will see me hosting this and I, I wonder if I could get a job on like America's Got Talent hosting that, like when she was like you're hosting our talent show, asshole. And I went, oh, yeah, that's right. My bad. I was like, yep, yep, that's, yep, like yep, going, yep. that's like going up to the the host at a party you're at and yeah. going, you know, this party thing is fun. I wonder if I can get invited to a party. Yeah. I wonder if there's another party. No, because this seems, this whole party yeah. thing seems like I'm having fun and I'm really gelling with people. Do you know of any parties in the area where I can go and do what I'm doing here? I, I just was, I wasn't thinking. And I was like, I'm doing a really good job. Like I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good host, but you no, are. we're doing uh I saw DJ Khaled did the. No, no, it, uh, he ended up uh, jumping off. And, did he? Yeah, and T-Pain ended up doing it. T-Pain's hilarious. T-Pain, it it's a great, I, I enjoy that. I, I would enjoy your job better. Hosting is, can be, is, is a lot more work. It is. That's why I like my job because oh. it's, uh, the fact that you're using the word job with what I do on AGT is 
not true. Oh, it's uh, it's funny. You got you guys are. I mean, I you guys. It's just such a great fucking show. It really is such a great fucking. It is show. a great show, and I I would have never dreamed. You know, you said as we started what these beginnings are, and we were yeah. talking about before uh, your uh, FaceTime uh, Gardner called, but but the <laughs> the the uh, I was talking about how in two thousand four. You know, I had I had been playing like these huge things all through the eighties and and specials. I did about eight specials and HBO and Showtime and the one you saw was Showtime, and uh, it, it just and I did Saint Elsewhere. And then by two thousand and four, my uh, career was kind of waning. You know, and now had you been the kind of guy that was like, I have a I have a a, a goal. No, have, none. You just were none. like, let's just. I work. don't think you yeah. know. The truth of the matter is, when I'm not, if I'm not talking to you right now and not in the midst of this sentence, I'll be in a fucking dark place. My mind is. It's not about career. It's just I get into my head and um, I'm curious. Just wait, to, I want to talk about that. Waiting to die. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just, wait, wait. Did you wake up at three in the morning and go? I need to distract my brain because my brain's going to take me somewhere I don't want to be. Because my brain just says to me. Hey, just so you know, one day you will die and you can't stop it. And I think that thought constantly. Now, that doesn't stop. So if I wake up at three in the morning and that, stop, that thought coincides with a handful of gummies, <laughs> <laughs> then I wake my wife up and goes, what the fuck are you chewing? What do you think I'm chewing? I got gummies and I'm just trying to get out of this mindset for a minute. So if I'm not knocked out cold or doing comedy or working, it's really hard. Yeah. So, and, and I only do that at night, but, but it, it, during the day, what was the question? Was it 2004, you just. Oh, so I had, I, you know, I came off a series. Uh, I decided I didn't want to do movies. Movies were hell for me. It's really hard because it's so much waiting and so much downtime. And you sit in a trailer and you do one line and you go, is that funny? And the director tells you, don't worry, that's going to work. And then you're at the mercy of whoever for two years later, you're not going to see it. And I just don't like I don't, I didn't yeah. like, did you like, you'd like the I process? I, uh, I, I actually had said, I don't like acting before I had ever acted. And I, cause I do stuff and I felt like I was wasting my time. And then this process I absolutely loved, but I could not be an actor. I've turned down a bunch of stuff cause I can't just, but be you're an playing actor. a real story. I can play me. I can play a version of me, but I also need to be in control of everything. Like I need to be able to walk into anyone's office. I need to be able to walk into any, so like, there's where the, that's the big difference. So I've never had that in a movie oh, and, you know, I, yeah. on, on movie sets. It was hell for me. So I, so I, I wasn't, I listened to you talk about that and I went, I actually I have weird things where if people go, all right, go to your, go to your trailer and we'll come get you when you're ready. I, I start going, you don't, you don't get to tell me when I'm, I'm going to stand outside and then I'm standing outside in the sun. Cause I don't want to be, I, I get anxious with someone just waiting for someone to knock on my door. I start freaking out that I actually put signs. Anyone that's ever worked with me, Knows I put signs say, please don't knock on my door. Just open it. I'm not doing anything bad. Just open my door. I don't want you knocking. Well, we sound, we sound similar. So, <laughs> so it, it, well, this is what it looks like after 20 years more of this hell. But anyway, I, I, uh, at, in 2004, you know, ticket sales started waning. I was now playing clubs, not full. Um, I was reading for parts on TV for five lines and under, and I'm sitting in folding chairs outside casting offices. And I said, you know, and I've never, ever done it for money. I yeah. did, and this is not anything I pursued. I've done really well, yeah. but that wasn't the reason I got up on the dare. That's not the reason why I did the tour. It was like the first time I felt connected. And for me, 
those moments like you have when you're terrified at the top of a roller coaster because you're afraid of heights, there's nothing that keeps you in the moment. I need to have that fear. I think it's like I think, yeah. when people are cutters and stuff like that in that moment, you know, to to feel that pain or to feel that fear or to feel that. I, I think that's, for me, that's what it is. No, no, I, I, I find myself uh, reaching out for these things that I know are going to, I don't know. It's it's a like that adrenaline of being terrified. Uh, yeah, is takes you out of any possibility of being able to worry about what's going to happen in five minutes. I had what uh, happened before. There's there's a moment in free fall, and I, I experienced a lot of free fall. Yeah, where your brain disconnects from everything that it ever. All you are is in that moment. You can't, and it takes you falling out of a fucking plane to get falling that? out of a plane, jumping off a bridge, jumping off a cliff, jumping off, and that it, it became almost. Doesn't matter what you exit, you're still falling. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was, it was, and I, and I would not, I, I would. It's really crazy, but uh, I, I, I had some moments of bliss in on roller coasters, and I, I would have panic as soon as they buttoned me in. Yeah, I, I started panicking. That's how I feel. So yeah. that's the exact, I share that with you. So the, so the, the thing was that I said, I never went in it for my, I just wanted to do it, but it was getting sad. Wow. It, that's it was so crazy. I just played Red Rocks. And when they offered me Red Rocks, 10,000 seats beyond what I, I ever thought I could sell. I did the same impulse. Yeah, no, I'll do it. And they were like, well, it's, it, you know, it's, it could be, a, it's going to be a little, I go, no, 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 no. And I obsessed about it. I comp- I went crazy about it and I thought about it nonstop. And I, and I, all I did was promo videos. I went into surgery with my phone in my hand, uh, going under anesthesia, saying, uh, September 8th, I'll be at Red Rocks. The night before me is Jimmy Buffett. The night after, and I, I obsessed about it. But it, and then when I did it, it's like all of a sudden, it, it's crazy. I, I take these things that are way bigger than I ever think I could do. And then I get there and I'm fucking losing my mind going like, oh shit. And then it's the free fall moment where you're like, God damn it. No, I do. I do. So it's an adrenaline junkie. Yeah. You know, and we find different ways to get it. So then I was going to quit. I said, I'm, I'm beating myself up at this point. And in 2005, I'd already been doing it for 25 years, almost 30 years. I'm in my 45th year now of comedy or Jeez. what's 77 and 21. Tw- yeah, roughly. Yeah, roughly. So, so I, uh, I said, you know, I can, I'll go do something. I love real estate. That's why I love, uh, I don't know if you talk about what you're doing here, but your home is just amazing. Oh, thank okay. you. Okay. So I love real estate. I love yeah. construction. And all along my career, I've always, because I, I always thought that that was the thing. I'm a salesman. Yeah. That's what I could fall back. You can't, I can't trust comedy or show business. And I still feel like I know very little about show business. And uh, the, uh, so I said, I'm just going to do that. And then once or twice a week, I can go down to the Laugh Factory or the Comedy Store and get my little comedy fix. I don't need to make money and I don't need to be on TV. Let me ask you a question. In construction, do you find, I'm I'm trying to connect my my things that uh, keep me up. Do you find yourself in building a house are there things that aren't perfect that make you crazy? Uh, well, that's my OCD. Yes. Yeah. And not only are they not perfect, my wife doesn't like that I do it because I do build. A, I build a lot of houses. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you have no idea. You have no fucking idea. When, when we renovated our last house, the small house we renovated, my wife walked in on me at two in the morning with a golf ball, putting it in corners. See, of the house. It see when it was level. Level. <laughs> <laughs> what the how come no one's done this no one no one checking i go watch our kitchen and it just and she goes and then i am like fucking you're not the first guy to have a wife wake up and your <laughs> husband's in the other room playing with his balls 
<laughs> so keep going. I didn't mean to interrupt. So no, but that's so exactly what's so, doing. Oh yeah, and spots. then like, I, and then I go like every day or four times a day when something, you know, whatever the framer's there. You know, yeah. I mean, this wall wasn't here when we were here an hour ago. And she goes, "Big fucking deal." <laughs> I go, "No, no, for me." So I watch everything, and I get so immersed in the in the minutia of construction, yeah. and she she has no desire to even be a small part of it. But but so I said I'm going to quit. And then I got the call from my manager at the time. He's still my manager, Michael Roberg, uh, who said, uh, you know, NBC is calling and they want you to do a game show that a big, they're going to throw everything at it. They're doing it for five nights a week. And I went, fuck off. And I hung up the phone. And uh, I've talked about this many times, but in 2005, if you could jet yourself back to 2005, no, not one comedian, not one person that ever had any... uh, had their foot in comedy, had been a uh, a game show host, not since Groucho Marx, Did You Bet Your Life, yeah. which Leno is doing now, by the way. I saw really? a promo for it last night on, on TV. You Bet Your Life, which was in the 50s, I think, or the 60s. Groucho Marx. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But up until then, and when your currency is comedy and irony, up until 2004, the, uh, the and, and nothing against a game show host, but th- that was the punchline. You know, acting like a game show host. That was, yeah. comedians didn't do it. Game show hosts were kind of slicked up guys in suits who read with questions. With a long, mic, with and, a long yeah. mic. who read questions with a card. And they were really kind of, it was very, very, you know, uh, kind of corny. No, if, yeah, if the not. landscape of television when I entered in 2000 was uh, movie stars don't do television. Right. Television stars don't do game Commer- shows. Or commercials. Or commercials. Uh, no one's a host of a show. Don't host anything. Right. And uh, and and if you were a comic, you had to strive to be all, every any right. one of those. You had to hope to be one of those. You couldn't just be a comic. Well, you remember, like even I did one of the first shows they had me on when I did St. Elsa was a thing called Tattletales. Bert Comby was the host of Tattletales, and it was you had to match. It's kind of like the newlywed game, but it was celebrities where you had to match. Your wife had to guess the answer. Bert Comby became he he passed away. He's a great guy, but he was being becoming a movie star, and then he started hosting a show. He lost his whole movie career. Really? Yeah. So I, it, when he called me, I just said, fuck off. And he, they, they called me back. And, and my, my manager is actually my best friend. Uh, and, and we've been friends since we were 14 years old. So I don't want to. Oh, really? Yeah, we grew yeah, up yeah, together. Yeah. My, yeah. my manager and I. He came out here, lived on my couch, and now opened probably one of the biggest comedy and production companies there is. Three Arts. Do you know Three Arts? Uh, yeah. I didn't realize that's who it was. Yeah. So he yeah. lived on my couch. Michael Rodenberg li- lived yeah. on, on my couch uh, when he came out here and went to law school. I was first. I was the first client they ever had, and I'm the first client he ever had as a lawyer, as a then when he wow. became a manager. But anyway... Um, <laughs> I'm here to tell you that I've started. That's how that's, old I, I know. I feel, I feel like I'm MTV. You're like, you're like, you're like the uh, millennial Charlie Chaplin. Like, cause yeah. you know, you hear the stories of Charlie Chaplin goes, well, you should have studios or whatever, you know, whatever. I don't even know, but right. that's everything. But you're what you're saying, me. I look like a guy who's going to take a 14 year old girl and go to Europe and marry her. Isn't that what Charlie did? I Didn't he get thrown out of Hollywood for, did he marry a 14 year old? I think he did. Oh, may, I may be wrong. Do you have, will you Google that? Did he? I don't want to besmirch. I love Charlie Chaplin, but that's what he got. That was the controversy that was involved. Really? Is that what the end of his career? I think so. What was, I can't even Didn't imagine. They do that? I saw the movie with Robert Downey Jr. That was the movie. That's what they, t- that in the oh, story. Really? The, didn't you ever see Chaplin? I, I did, I did, but I'm, I don't remember stuff very well. Okay. I can't imagine falling in love with a 14-year-old. Like, I have a 15-year-old, and we have such issues. <laughs> 
Well, first of all, it's not only a 14 year old, that's your daughter, sadistic tyrant who fucked teenage girls. Okay. All right. It's a vice. You know, article. this is this headline that he put up. That's his bio. That was his own bio. <laughs> that's hey, not even. What news. do you want me to say about you before you bring, bring you on stage? How do you want to be remembered? <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Yeah. So you learn something every day. Yeah. But uh, uh, anyway, I don't know how that got game show. Twelve. She was 12, not 14. Oh, wow. Stupid me. Wow. Yeah. It doesn't make a much difference. <laughs> the fuck? 12? 12. Whoa. That's so It's crazy. not even puberty yet. No. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know when my, my daughters didn't really share their puberty experiences with me entirely. It's so weird because they used to call me and tell me exactly what was going on. <laughs> my daughters? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was the anonymity of me not knowing your daughters that they were comfortable <laughs> telling me. I just got blood in my pants. What is that? Oh, wait. No, I did talk about my daughter's periods on Conan. Shit, I did. And in my special. Yeah, I definitely, definitely yeah. followed their periods. Yeah, you got it. You yeah. got it. You got it. Because you yeah. got to know when you have the edge over them. There's a time of month where they can be the... Oh, yeah. Anyway, the the point was that I didn't want to do a fucking game show. And then they called me back. And they said, well, you just listen to it. This is a huge hit all over the world. NBC, they've never put five nights of programming on a big network of just a game show they've never yeah. done that before game shows were kind of allocated you know in the 60s and 70s they were in prime time there was no prime time game no not time. that time no there, the one that they had it exploded and that's the reason why that gave them the the leverage to do it was millionaire yep with uh regis so I that's remember the watching one. norm mcdonald on who wants to be a millionaire oh my god I'm do you remember that i'm heartbroken no i didn't watch him on that it's one of the most epic i think he wins a million dollars or he loses he goes for the million dollars and loses it all but he just flip-flops back and forth on like answer to answer. To, to be honest with you, he is one of the funniest guys I ever met, one of the funniest guys I ever worked with. I am so fucking heartbroken by that loss. I had no idea. He meant, you know, it's interesting to his peers like you, everyone knows him as one thing, and to all us, like all the younger guys, he was a he was a guy that would take the time to text or DM you and say that he was like proud of you or congratulations or if you were going some through something. He'd say, "Hey, this isn't real. Don't worry about it." He, uh, he's, he was. He was the best. If you, if you want to get the consummate feeling of who he was, you Google the uh, his appearance on Letterman the day he got fired. fired. And if you really watch him, and you really, it's very funny. David is there protecting his ass like crazy, and he won't say anything negative about Don Olmeyer. Yeah, and he goes, you know, and and he took a call where he goes, the guy that fired him, just called him up and said, you know why I'm firing you because you're not funny. And I mean, you can't. There's no sharper arrow to jam into a comedian's heart <laughs> than to tell them to their face they're not funny. And he, the way the way he handles that in that interview is, it's really funny and it's a great epic. The line he says that that I didn't catch, I didn't catch until until yesterday the day before yesterday the day he passed was he goes he called me and said you're not funny which in any other regular job you'd have a lawsuit on your hands you, <laughs> you can't just call somebody going you're fired because you're not funny he goes but it turns out that no he goes he goes you're fired and he goes well that's bad news he goes well, you're not funny he goes well that's even worse that's news. worse news <laughs> that, that's why in any other job you'd have a lawsuit on your hands right <laughs> you can't fire me because i'm not, not funny, funny. 
But that's why he 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 was able to hold on to the humor and the darkness of the moment for him personally. But he did it with such grace and without malice, you know, like, and yeah. he had reason to be crazy angry, but he was one of those guys. And he kind of reminded me of you and maybe me in the sense that um, when we're told not to do something, mm. that's the fuel that you just lit the fucking fuse. If you want something done, tell me not to do it. If you say, no, that's not my line don't answer the phone. I'm getting, then I want to, you know, I I didn't have an idea, but only because you said that's a bad place to go. My brain works so much faster when you say, don't do something though. I I got kicked out of a meeting in our fraternity. I made, they were trying to do this thing about homecoming with the thetas and I made a joke and then everyone laughed. And then I made another joke and everyone laughed and our president stood up and he goes, you make one more joke about this damn homecoming and the thetas and you're out of all the chapters for the rest of the year. As soon as he said that, I go, my brain goes, perfect. So he goes, understood? And I go, I get it. He sits down, he goes, okay, let's proceed. And I lean into these guys, I go, two thetas walk in a bar. (laughs) And the place went fucking nuts. He goes, you're out. And I'm thinking, "Uh, everything in my, everything that defines me is the thing that you're saying I can't do? That's what, that's all I want to do now. It's, I love you. Oh, it's the, <laughs> that's amazing. So that's how, so that's kind of, I, I and I, I think that's pretty common amongst people who got into this business, you know, to do all the things that we were told and admonished the way we speak, the things we speak of, yeah. the, the way we show up, how we do things is all about, you know, bucking the system. Yeah. And yeah. because we feel that the assist, the system kind of oppressed us. So back to my story is that uh, I got a call back within the hour and they said, can, will you just look at the game show? And at the time I, I live here in the Valley near you. And I was, they had Jerry's deli here. I remember it. I was in the one close I, to here. Yeah. Thank you. I'll be here all week. <laughs> Watching that's uh, if you heard something in the background, I'm here with Rich, who produces everything. And well, I'm on podcasts, he likes to watch porn, but he doesn't know where his <laughs> mute button is. But I don't know if it was me, but the screaming that I heard coming sound. out of your like 12 year olds, you were watching either a Charlie Chaplin film or. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by Hims. Hims is one-stop shopping for men's hair loss, sexual wellness, all shit meant for men's. It was created by the company is created by a man that knew that most conversations men want to have about their about their health are better to have online. All I'm not going to say all men, but I know for a fact myself included, if I have a health concern, I'd rather go online than go waiting in awkward doctor's lines. Did you know that 66% of men start losing their hair by the age of 33? I started losing mine when I was, is it 33 or 35? I started losing mine when I was 22. It's 35. It's 35. I started losing mine by the time I was 22, and I started panicking. I went to the doctor. It took me forever to follow through that appointment because I knew that I was going to have to talk to a uh, a receptionist and a nurse and I was going to tell everyone I was going bald and then they told me I wasn't and then I knew that I would get a prescription I'd have to go wait in the long pharmacy lines well for hims connects you with licensed medical professionals online which would save you hours it's completely confidential and discreet all you got to do answer a few quick questions and a medical professional will review and if they determine it's right for you they can prescribe you medication to treat your hair loss that is shipped directly and discreetly to your door <laughs> and that's real medication by the way 
Today, Hims is giving you the best offer yet. If you're not happy with results after 90 days, Hims will give you a full refund. And right now, my listeners get their first visit absolutely for free. Go to forhims.com slash Burtcast. That's forhims.com slash Burtcast. Prescription products require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information. Remember, that's forhims.com slash Burtcast. This podcast is brought to you by 3G, the industry leader in Delta 8 THC products. All products are formulated by a biochemist and made in the USA with USA homegrown hemp. 3G Delta 8 is a federally legal version of THC and a more functional alternative to marijuana. It gives you an amazing buzz and a great body feel, but with a clear head and less anxiety and less paranoia, which is so important to us, to me. It's available online at 3chi.com. That's the number 3chi.com, and it retailers around the country. And remember, this is not CBD. This is psychoactive. It will give you a buzz, so please use responsibly. They now have Delta 8 Ball candies, Delta 8 cookies, Delta 8 crispy treats, candies that are available in packs of 5 and 25, cookies available in chocolate chips, sugar cookies, and the, tr- the cereal treats are available in crispy and fruity flavor. 3chi also has disposable vapes with a separate battery no longer needed for your vape cartridge anymore they come and ready to use right out of the box and are available in 10 strains go to 3chi.com that's the number 3chi.com to shop for delta 8 edibles vapes tinctures gummies and oils that can be used to make your own homemade edibles use the code BERT to chat check out to receive five percent off your order remember you must be 21 to purchase so uh I- I said, you know, I don't even want to go for this, but I'm in Jerry's. Yeah. I'll be here for another half hour. If they want to show up here and talk to me, they said, just meet with the guy. I go, if the guy wants to come here and meet me, I'll, I'll buy him a soup. Yeah. And I, 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 I was sitting there by myself and, and he showed up, this guy named Rob Smith. He was with Endemol and he showed up and I have it in my office with a, uh, it's like he didn't even go to Kinko's. I thought I was being pranked. It was like this, he, he had this art card that he made and he drew lines with a ruler and he cut out little squares, which were eventually supposed to be like the briefcases. And he told me to pick a mouth. He moved my soup away. And I realized, and again, I thought it was the worst fucking game. It was like, okay, pick the one that you think's worth a million dollars and then we're going to open, we'll flip over other cards. But it's just like all he kept saying was open. Okay, flip it over. Okay, flip it over. Which one now? Okay, flip it over. Okay, which one now? Flip it over. Okay, which one now? Flip it. There was no game. I go, you're going to do this for an hour every night? (laughs) Just people picking the case and opening the case? What's the fucking show? There's no skill. There's no trivia. This is like a fucking joke. And he said to me by 10 times, we got it. We can't do it without you. You got to do it. You got to do it. I go, let me think. I go home and I told my wife the story. And apparently I'm hard to live with so she said just please take the job get out of the fucking house she did so i said i'll go do the job so i went and did the job and we shot and and to be totally honest with you i was so embarrassed i was really really, really i had no idea what it was oh, you know the i was first just, time i saw it i went oh this is amazing well not me uh <laughs> because i was in it yeah, yeah because yeah, yeah. I, I at first i thought because here's what happened i thought I said to them, okay, so first of all, my wife said, go take the job. This was like Friday, right? So I called back to Michael who put me on the phone to NBC and I said, I'm going to do it. And they, they congratulated me. And I go, so when do you start? And they go, we take Monday. I go, you, t- you take Monday. I go, well, don't you have to hire models? They go, we got them all. I go, well, is there a set? 
Well, it's built. So then I start thinking, how fucking down, how many rungs down the ladder of choices? Yeah, wait, who, was, who was the one, just who was the one three before you? <laughs> I know some of them. I've met them in the oh, years. One real? of them was Ellen. They asked yeah. Ellen. Ellen said no. And a bunch, everybody said no. Yeah. And I didn't. I told you, that's how this started. <laughs> you know, I say yes to everything. So, uh, and then I said, can I hire a writer, you know, just to give me some shit to do? Like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be in front of an audience and this is, I think it's a shitty game. So yeah. maybe I'll, where do I have a, an opportunity to be in front of a network audience? Mm -hmm. So, and they gave me money for a writer and the, and the writer and me sat in the room and over the weekend. And I thought it's like some funny things uh, about briefcases and models. And, and then I walked out there and, um, there was a, the, the, I'll never forget. I've done 500 episodes. The very first episode was a woman named Karen Van. And I met her and she told me she's a single mother and three boys. They were sitting in the audience, the kids there. And we started to play the game. And then I realized this is real. This girl, these are kids sitting here. This yeah. woman has never owned a home, doesn't have any health insurance. And the first offer was something like 20 grand. And she didn't live in LA. 20 grand could have bought her health insurance. 20 grand could have been a down payment on a house. 20 grand could save her life. And without even a thought, she went, no deal. And I looked at her. It was really hard to be within a few feet of a real human being who really needed something. And I was going, really? <laughs> and then I got, then I realized that she was in this haze. And I, I wonder, have you been on stage on television with somebody who isn't somebody from television and you see there's a, a, a gloss that goes over yep. somebody with all the lights and all the cameras and the audience there, they're not really into, you know, and they'll tell you themselves that yeah. I was on the show and it's all a blur. I don't know. It was just so exciting being there on the set. So that's what I sensed was happening. And then I got afraid of, uh, if I start doing the shtick and the bits and she starts laughing, laughing. or whatever, I'm going to distract her from, because she's already not making good decisions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and that's where I got my cadence. So I would go, you know, Karen Van, you know, the offer is, and I was talking to her like I was talking to my children when they were five. The offer is, listen to me, $60,000. That's guaranteed. Or you have to open up another three cases. $60,000. God, it was deal such a good or no show. deal. And so what happened is I, I, I tried to get the best game possible. I'll, I'll be honest with you. She walked out that the first show with $5,000. That's all she walked out with. And then we did a recap to find out what people had done with their money. She got her tits done. So, and, but, and I'm not saying that, no, that, yeah. that was good. Could have made money off that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> she made a mountain out of a <laughs> mole. <laughs> Anyway, the, 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 the thing was that I was so embarrassed because I thought for the first time I'm on network TV and uh, like for an hour, five nights a week, this is going to be the most hum humiliating thing I've ever heard done in my life. I'm about to be skewered and embarrassed and humiliated. So I got on a plane and me and my family went out to the Caribbean and we're, we're not in front of a TV, not in front of, and the first day it aired, I got a, a text from Rob Smith, the guy that met me. He goes, this went through the roof. I go, what are we talking about? He goes, the show went through the roof. And then he calls me the next night, it's even more. The next night, even more. We had over a hundred million viewers in the first week, just on the first, like this is before there were streamers and you can air yeah. it on three different And I got back on a plane. I landed in Miami within 30 seconds of getting off the plane. The first person I saw went deal or no deal. And then every person, and, and I got to tell you, 
that from that moment on, having been in the business for 25 years and about leaving, that is probably the biggest success that I've ever had. That's the first time that whoever was my audience, my audience was always fractured. You know, when I did the Young Comedian special, people knew me from comedy and were buying tickets. And that that had kind of waned, but I was the comedian with the rubber glove on the yeah. head and the handbag. People who watched Sane Elsewhere weren't necessarily comedy fans. Yeah. So I would get letters at that time. That was before email. I'd get tons of letters saying, you know, I have a bet with my husband that you're not the same guy that puts the, the fiscus is not the same guy that puts the rubber glove on his head. So they would bet that. And I was doing Bobby's world. And that was like moms in the morning with their babies. Like, so none of these audiences were together and I couldn't bring them to one room together. When I did deal or no deal and we started talking and people would come on and say they were a fan of Bobby or they, they loved the St. Elsewhere or they're a doctor. Bobby would show up. Bobby was in your act though, a little bit. It was, it was so, but, but, that was the biggest success I had. And I started a production company. I renegotiated and I've never had more success. In fact, right after that, as, after the first season, they hired Jeff Foxworthy to do Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Yeah. They hired uh, Bob Saga to do One Versus 100. They hired Louis Anderson to do um, um, what Steve Harvey's doing now. Family Feud. Family Feud. And now having a comedian headline or host a show yeah. is uh, par for the course. So- what I'm trying to say here is thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's so interesting. What time do you have to get out of here by? It's, a, it's I have, a, okay. I so have I'm curious. Do. I'm I'm really curious about pranks because you enjoy pranks. And I really do. Pranks make me extremely uncomfortable. Like yes, to be that's exactly to, what I like. But I was like, there's certain people that love pranks, and then like for me. I I sometimes can't even watch prank shows, but it's different. I, pranks have gotten different from uh, what was the what was the first one was uh, candid, candid camera. camera. Candid camera was like well, candid camera is what got me in the comedy. Candid candid camera is the first time in my life that I understood comedy, it, for whatever I understand it to be. Yeah. And that was because my family loved comedy. My dad bought comedy albums. My mom and dad were always, the Ed Sullivan show was always on. The Tonight Show was always on. And I'm talking about being three or four years old and I'd hear them in the living room laughing hysterically or he'd put on an album. And I would walk out as a three-year-old or a four-year-old into the living room wanting to join in the laughter. And I'd hear somebody talking about, you know what my mother-in-law said? I'm like, I don't even know what a fucking mother-in-law is. I've never even heard that (laughs) term before. So nothing made sense. And I felt like I wasn't invited to the party. On Sunday nights, the biggest show was Candid Camera. And I remember sitting down and Alan Funt, which was this nice old man, would say, here's what I'm going to do. I have told this woman that she's a receptionist in my office and you cannot miss one call. I'm going out to lunch and you can't miss one call. What I've done is I've tied a rope to the desk, to this leg. We drilled it through a hole through the wall. When the phone rings, every time she goes to reach for the phone, we're gonna pull the rope and the desk is gonna go away and we'll see how she reacts. Now, the thing is, for the first month, when he explained that, he explained it to me as a four-year-old could understand. My parents understood. I turned around and we were all just sitting there. Oh my God, oh my God, I can't wait. It's kind of like the ultimate surprise party. I understood it. We were all in. It made me feel good. I understood what was going on and we were waiting. It's like, she's coming up the driveway. She's coming up the driveway. And then what would happen is we sat there and we watched and the phone rang. She went to reach for the phone. He pulled the rope. The desk went away. You can see her jaw dropped, a horror in her face. (laughs) And I... 
that's the first time I can vividly remember that moment right now, the guttural laugh that came out of me, turned around, I saw both my parents laughing that hard. And from that moment on, I have tried to replicate that feeling. I personally don't love stories and jokes as much as I love, and maybe it's because that's how I feel and it's comfortable. The more awkward, the more uncomfortable it is. And it's because it's relatable. We're all human beings. You know, if somebody tells me two guys walked into a bar, well, number one, in my mind, they didn't. Yeah. (laughs) And you're just making up the story about the other one. So it's hard for me to, or they go, you want to hear a funny joke? Well, it's a joke. Yeah. A joke's not funny to me, but reality is funny. Reality, how, when somebody feels awkward and uncomfortable, it's relatable. We all feel like, awkward. And if I can be the architect of that awkwardness and, and with, uh, in, in all in good humor, like nobody, nobody gets hurt, but they are uncomfortable for the moment. You know, I I did a show on Fox years ago called mobbed, which was based on flash mobs. And I was telling, and it was uh, people, uh, they wouldn't let me, I wanted to, whatever news you had to have. In fact, it's the, it's, uh, you know, uh, whether you're proposing to somebody or whatever, we would make it a joke. I would tell them that We need to create a world where it is so dark. Like if you love somebody and you want to throw them a surprise party, the best way to do that, even if you love it, you got to, they have to believe that everybody forgot about their birthday or nobody gives a shit about your birthday or people made other plans and aren't going to be there. You need to drop their psyche so fucking low so that when they open that door, it's so high and so exciting. And, and that's how that's what I feel like a prank is. A prank is put somebody in a real <laughs> uncomfortable, awkward human situation and then tell them, hey, buddy, it's not real. It's just me. It's Howie. And I'm yeah. doing that. And, and I do a podcast now with my daughter. Yeah. And what we do all the time, and that just came out of necessity during COVID, I would call her and do things like this. And whether it's a spam call or somebody calls or we called somebody, we were making prank calls and we we're laughing hysterically. And my wife walked in the room and said, what is this for? And I said, for me, like I didn't record anything. Yeah. And she said, you should record it. And that became Howie Mandel does stuff. And that's why, listen, there's enough podcasts and you've got the market pretty cornered. On no, podcasts. I say that. But you do it enough. And I just, I just put it out now because that's what I love. And I've had people on and go like, I go, go make a prank call with me or let's do something. And, and a lot of people go, I'm really uncomfortable. I kind of understand that. No, no, no. I, I, it's funny. I don't um, like, there's a certain, I can't prank people. I can't, but, and I think I, as you're saying this, I think it's because I am the perfect prankable person. But so am I'm I. very gullible. But so am I. And so. But even the thing that we just did. Yeah. For me. I, I don't oh, know. I love that. You, I love that. No, but I'll tell you. But but for me personally, he, he goes, what's before it comes to fruition, my favorite moment. And I go, you just called me. I'm Howie Mandel. And, and he, he took off his, before you got on, <laughs> just that moment, before he laughed, before he said, oh shit, he's that, watching those, the, the gears in yeah. his head going, what the f- fuck wait a minute i get how i mean what i'm mowing my fucking lawn i saw a number on reddit for bert this that make what the fuck is going and before he realizes the joke just that confusion just that moment living in that space because that's the space we all go for yeah. you know the people like you and who are not like you that ride a roller coaster 
That uncomfortable moment is what you got on for. That when you get off that first peak and you're doing the drop before you know you're okay, before you figure out that this is going to end well, uh, yeah, when yeah, you yeah. are screaming because you think you're coming this close to death, that's why you get on it. Yeah. So for me, the prank call is before you can get the laugh, before the goofiness be begins, all these people who are in a situation that they can't even figure out how they got into this. Yeah. Is this even real? How does this fucking work? I didn't dial the, what the fuck? <laughs> and I love that. What the fuck? And I feel like that's my feeling every time for the first five seconds of being awake each morning. Yeah. I open my eyes and I have to figure out what the fuck I'm going to do with my life. And I, 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 so I find that for me personally, the most yeah. relatable kind of comedy people have said to me, do you feel bad? Is it mean? I, I, I don't, I don't think pranks, I don't think pranks are mean. I think, well, I don't do it with that. Intent. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. And I think that what's, what's funny is I, one of my favorite things to do was do prank call. My daughters brought me in the room one time and they're like, Hey dad, we're doing prank calls. And I was like, you're not supposed to bring your dad in. You're supposed to do it by yourselves. You don't like in my head. I was like, what weird kids that, and they go, you want to do them with us? And I was like, guys, I don't, I don't do prank calls. And they're like, oh, they're fun. Watch. And Isla, my youngest must've been like 10 at the time, just calls a number and goes, hello, is Louis there? Okay. And hangs up and I go, it's not a prank call. You just called the wrong number. <laughs> she goes, no, it's funny. Try it again. And Georgia goes, I'll show you how to do it. And Georgia calls a number and goes, who's older. She goes, hi, you just want a car. A Prius. Blue. Hold on. Dad, can you finish it? And I was like, this. So I used to do prank. I go, let's do prank calls. And they would get, they, it was like, they could do give you the premise of the joke. They didn't know how to get the punchline out. I love and that. I, and so then I called this guy. You know who Brendan Walsh is? Yeah. Bren, Brendan Walsh is a legit. He is he is the he's maybe the my my, my favorite prank person in the world. Right. He he's the one. He's the one. I don't know if you know this story, and I'll share it for everyone. There was a Circuit City that closed. Right. And in in Silver Lake, and he went up and got a banner printed that said new whole foods coming soon and put it on the chain link fence outside the circuit city so that he could listen to people around his coffee shop going they got a whole foods coming <laughs> and there was no whole foods i know he did, I, he did one he but did, i love it see that's my favorite my wife always yeah. gets mad at me because she goes like who's the joke for like you're not telling anybody it's a joke yeah. and i said i like to live in that world where i'm at the whole where, where i'm at the coffee shop hearing people knowing it's not true yeah and you're right people might say well there's no punchline it's no oh the punchline they're, they're just misinformed people yeah i when they at our at our gelson's or we used to have a gelson's across our street every year around christmas you could donate money write your name on a little thing they'd put it up at the sign and uh donate money and the first time i did it i went in and i said yeah i'll donate it 10 bucks i got the thing and i wrote brad pitt and I gave it to her and she put, she didn't even look at it. She put it up. And so I, and then the next time I came in, I went, she goes, you want to give money? I go, yeah. Has any celebrities done that? She goes, yeah, actually bad. Brad Pitt was in the other day. And I was like, for real? I go, what's he like? She, and the woman lied to me. She goes, he's great. He was the nicest guy in the world. And I was like, oh, cool. Oh, maybe I'll Why do is it. that a lie? Because Brad Pitt is great and he is the nicest guy. Yeah, but guy she had never met him. No, I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I love when people think I'm an idiot. What is that? Oh. I love when people think that I'm an asshole. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. I love pranks. Oh, shit. What Have happened? you ever seen this? 
Oh, I forgot I did this. Let me see. So I used to do these hotel arts. Go to the refrigerator. I would do these. For, it was called What Will the Maid Think? And I would leave the room in a manner for the maid oh, so that hysterical. when she found them, she would go, oh, shit. So this. Oh, that's amazing. It's a torso. So the, so what are you telling me? This you is my realized the you one, don't. The but, one, the, but there's 38 to choose from. The, the, this yeah. came from I don't like pranks. Oh, yeah, them. I do. I love them. I love them. I no, love them. I love them. Turn to page 61 of Go my to the pranks. one. This one's my favorite one. This is the best one I ever did right there. This is I did this in Canada in across the street from the West Edmonton Mall. Click that one that your nails over. I just left a, a sheet tied to the thing out the window. As oh, if that's, that's how I got I out. Left. And then I leave a huge tip for the maid. And it got so big that I'd check into a hotel. Yeah. And people would go, because it went viral on like Good Morning America, Today Show. And then that I'd I'd get there and they'd be like, hey, we left a bunch of stuff in your room for you to make some stuff for us. And they'd fill my room with shit. Like hundred towels and, and just everything. That was one I did in New York City. I'd, I'd leave clothes in there because I had clothes from Travel Channel. Right. So I just leave my wardrobe in there and leave it like that. And people would come in, the maids would take pictures of it and oh, that's post hysterical. it. That's a good that's one of my first ones I did. And that's so hysterical. It's, yeah, it's called What Will the Maid Think? So that's like my that's look at the toilet paper. I just saw the toilet paper one I did on the right, toilet. No, there? no, no, no. On the up there, right there. I wrote that on the toilet paper. And then I've My name is Bert. I've been waiting for this moment. Tweet me. And I rolled the toilet paper back up so that one day, a month from then, someone would go and go, What the fuck? Oh, that's... I just... I enjoyed this. I enjoyed the creativity of this so much. I'd sit in... Oh, look at this. This is a good one. I'd sit... <laughs> this went from I don't like pranks. I've never done love pranks. pranks. I love pranks. Oh, I forgot about this. I forgot <laughs> about how this. But funny, how funny is it that well, you I saw, said, I... I don't like pranks, and now there's, uh, like... This is all you I have did. a thirty-year prank career, and then and then people. and then we were in we were in Glenwood Springs, Colorado. I think it's Glen, Glenwood Caverns, and I got I checked in. I was with Sam Champion. Do you remember Sam Champion? Yeah, sure. The weather with, guy, yeah, the blonde guy. I was with Sam Champion, and the people behind the thing were like uh, very playing it weird, and they were like, "Mr. Kreischer, I uh, hope you enjoy your stay." And I was like, "Thank you." And they were like, and I and uh, they're like, um, "Would you would you like would you like a beer?" I was like, you, they don't normally give beers at the front desk, but yeah, I'll take a beer. And Sam Champion's like, they must really know their reputation. And they're like, okay. And they're like, hey, and feel free to videotape anything around the premises and, and enjoy your evening. I was like, all right, whatever. <laughs> I go to my room, I open the door, and they had replaced my bed with a white water raft. They had m- mummies of towels of with that looked like that were in in scuba ga- gear paddling with me and my wife they had they had must have spent the entire day and i opened the door and i saw it and i started crying i was so touched oh. and i was like but i freaked out at first. i was like what the fuck and then i started crying i go oh my god and i sat there with my beer and i drank it looking at all the little nuances and i was like is this what it feels like to get pr-? like this is an awesome feeling right. when you realize i'm not dying i'm not dead oh shit they did this for me they did this is a treat Oh. This is a, and it's a, it's a, a kind of a, a great opportunity. You, you, very rarely do we get to get it back. Yes. Yeah. Now what, I, now I want to be pranked. 
<laughs> well, I don't know if that's how it worked. God. But that, this is a very funny. I'm always going to remember this uh, podcast, Bert. Uh, See, I'm the kind of guy. The who... one where you said, I don't like pranks, not in the pranks. And then we spend the last hour of the <laughs> podcast looking through your cornucopia of pranks that you hate, <laughs> that you don't like to do. Not only do you not that you do them. And not only did you forget about them, but you talked about a life-changing moment where you just sat at, in I the midst pranks. of a prank I that was done pranks. for you, crying <laughs> about how good your life was. Hmm? I can't believe it. Hmm? Do you, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'd Will you be on my podcast? I would love prank? to. I'd love we'll to. We'll figure out who you want to prank. And I don't only do it on the phone. I have a thing where... Um, you know what's fun is I, I send people... I have a, a little Bluetooth speaker... <laughs> that I put in in people's masks. And I, from whatever, I just send them into a store and I oh can say, it, it sounds like it's their voice coming out of them. So I can have them say oh, anything at a counter. And oh, it's hilarious. just embarrasses the shit out of whoever I send into the place. But maybe you could do that. You could be the voice yeah. of the mask or whoever will send into a Starbucks or a 7-Eleven or we do phone calls. We make weird appointments. We call friend. You could do it on a friend. I saw you. Did you prank your friend or did friend, did Tom prank the uh, the video with you? Did the music video? Oh no, that that was I did the music video to promote my tour, and then Tom and then it, it sold my tour out and added shows. And then Tom was like, "Well, every he got really upset because everyone said I could dance." Right, that was it. And he was like, "I can dance way better," and I was like, "You can't." So then he spent sixty thousand dollars to right. cr make a music video, and then. The prank, oh, this is a good one, that was too. The prank, right? the prank that he did was he said to me, Hey man, I want to do new artwork for our podcast. So we just taped the podcast. And he goes, Can you um they've got cameras? All the picture just, of your face. Yeah, we need a picture of your face. I was like, Yeah, sure thing. I love pranks. I forgot this. And so I <laughs> I did the I love pranks. It's so funny because I just watched so the documentary last night. Who's the director of that that got all the shots of your face? I don't remember his name. He's oh, because he did. I did a show with him. I, I we, we It was on, uh, I forget what that little streaming that's gone, but uh, Kirby Jenner. Do you know Kirby Jenner? No. He's the guy who directed that. Kirby Jenner is yeah. a guy who is supposedly uh, one of the Jenner kids that didn't get, he's got a really funny Instagram site. And we did really? a show where he used real found footage, but the guy who directed it is the guy who directed, who made you take all those shots of yeah. your face. And he, and he did all the pictures of my face. And he's like, now look sad. And I was like, Ooh. and I really was doing I it. I know. I and saw then, it. It was, a fun, I saw the, the week he, he finished it. Oh, for he real? He was working with me and he goes, look what we're doing. And I said, Oh, it was amazing. And then, and then when, the best part of that video because i watched his dance i was like oh the dance is good but when i saw me i went hang on and i did the math and i went oh and i when i figured it out i lost my shit but it was that was a great prank that was a, that was a good one god i forgot you like pranks i do like pranks i just got back from a tour of your new house and you know what i saw in the kitchen a skylight frame that's right well that skylight frame plays all the time and it cheers me up non-stop i love this freaking thing it is it looks it looks like a, like a piece of art in the house yeah and you upload all your photos to it i they make great gifts i bought them for my mom my dad both my sisters we bought them for all our camper friends and you send an email uh it's it's super easy it's a touch screen photo frame and you can email photos to it and they appear in seconds in other words you get to share all your favorite moments with the people that matter to you all your families i got this for every one of my family and and uh God, I should have one for the bus. They're actually bigger than I thought they were going to be, too. <laughs> oh, awesome. It's fantastic. It makes a great grift. Over, right now, 
Order, get ahead of the holidays and order yourself one. Anyone can send photos to the frame in just seconds. It's a great way to keep in touch with friends and family. It's effortless to use. The setup literally takes 60 seconds. The least tech savvy people, my mom included, can use it so you can use it. The Skylight Frame has a gorgeous 10-inch touchscreen so you can swipe through the photos with your fingers and even tap to thank the person who sent the photo. And best of yet, 100% satisfaction guaranteed. If you don't love your Skylight Frame, they're going to offer you a full refund. You can tap the heart button and it will let the sender know you love the photo. This make, makes the frame interactive and fun to use. I'm telling you, you're going to absolutely love it. Uh, I love our Skylight Frames and we've gotten them for everyone we love. I wish I just want to find more people to love so I can give people more Skylight Frames. We love our frames so much. We're offering our listeners $10 off your f- purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com and enter the code BERT. That's right. To get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame, just go to skylightframe.com and enter the code BERT. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E.com and use the code BERT. I like, I'm the kind of guy that always thinks, um, do you like Middle Eastern food? I love Middle Eastern oh. food. Do you like, uh, I was I was trying to find something that you'd say no to and then you can reminisce about really loving. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, uh, I, what was, uh, what prank? Was no, 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 no. Um, I, I'm, I, this is crazy. I always, I can very easily be trick myself into believing that someone's throwing a surprise party for me. Just for, randomly for birthdays. For, so for every, oh, for birth- I just thought just I, every day, like it's no. Thursday. I just feel like somebody <laughs> wants to celebrate me. I, uh, I, what do you mean? I, do you have, have you had surprise parties? I've never had a surprise birthday. <laughs> so where did that come from? And, but every, every birthday since I was, since I was 30, every birthday, I believe this is my surprise birthday and my feelings get hurt at the end of the night when no one throws me a surprise birthday. Have, every, you, told, have you told this to your wife? I, I know I, I can't share it because everyone will be like. You just shared it. Are you going to edit this out of the podcast? No, no, no. But she so I would she imagine this year she doesn't listen. She's not going to listen. I'm on the road. I'm in DC on my birthday. But um, I would. So I, now, they, now she knows where you are. She knows the date and she yeah. knows how to make your dreams come true. I, uh. My my wife is fascinated because my best pranks, see, notoriety has ruined it for me. Like when if people recognize you or they know you're a comedian, yeah. the best thing for me, and it's for me, the the more you think I'm a fucking idiot, the funnier it is for me. The more you just think, you know, asking a ridiculous question and forcing you to give me an answer yeah. and then walking away. And my wife going like, or, you know, before I was known, I would walk into, this is not uh, politically correct now, but I would have like the most graphic porn shots of uh, whatever, horrible porn shots, but there'd be uh, like a a comforter on the bed and the guy's, you know, fucking her in the ear. And I would go into like bed, bath and beyond and just say, this is, is this a duvet cover? My wife wanted me to buy a duvet cover. Is this the duvet cover? And do you have this pattern? God, you know, and, and just stand and there's no camera. Yeah. There's no, yeah, there's no camera. No, we we were, I was just telling, we were just, uh, we, we had a pay, a PTA meeting. This is when I was in fifth grade and we went into the PTA meeting and they announced all the people running for office and the president, Jenna Schwartz was running unopposed. And I just raised, I turned back to Brian Stepanek. I go, 
hey, nominate me for president. And he was like, for real? I was like, yeah. He's like, I nominate Burt Kreischer. I go, I accept. And my wife's like, you want to be president? And I go, no, but I'm not letting anyone run unopposed. And I gave the most moving, heartfelt speech. And Jenna, who's running unopposed, did not have one prepared. And and my <laughs> speech, <did> you. <laughs> my, my speech was so good that everyone's like, I'm voting for this guy. And and then my, we, I let her get up to start her speech. And now she's panicking. She's like, I had a hurt knee. That's why I stopped hiking with him. It's done. Look at listen. And then my wife's like, you got to make this stop. <laughs> See the difference between you and me. My wife says you got to make it stop, and I don't listen. <laughs> and then she doesn't talk to. Wasn't she just mad at me for something like this recently? <laughs> but what, what what did I just? There was one that she said that I didn't stop. It was just it, it is every day. Yeah. And every day, if, if you think that I'm a fucking idiot for me, that's a win. Not if you yeah. say I'm the funniest guy in the world. If you think I'm a if I can convince you, like it's just so awkward down to the simplest things like all these spam calls we all get. Yeah. You know, my record right now is 55 minutes. I try to see how long I could hold these people on the phone just asking. And it's not, I don't record it, but for me, I just, the number is 55. So now I got to beat 50. I haven't been able to beat 55, but just like not understanding. And she goes, you're not even, and my wife says, you're not even recording this. It's not going to air somewhere. You're not even talking about it. Who is this for? And after 42 years of marriage, she still doesn't understand. It's me. Yeah. Yeah. It gives me just anything that makes comedy for me, that's a green light. Like anything that makes me giggle, anything that can possibly go into my act, anything like that. Like I bet this kid one time about a Rams game, he's like 12 years old. He's a, my buddy's friend, son. I bet him that, uh, the Rams were going to win 200 bucks. And he's like, I don't have 200 bucks. I go, you, you got some stuff I want. And he goes, what? And I said, I want to cut your hair. And he was like, okay. And I was like, yeah, you might want to think it through. And he goes, no, deal. I go, go ask your dad. And he's like, dad, Bert wants to buy me too. He's like, you don't have 200 bucks. He goes, yeah, but he's going to cut my hair. And his dad just starts laughing. He goes, think it through. Dude, I have never laughed harder in my life. Oh, that's so funny. Did, I, you, did you laugh at Oh, I cut Did you cut shirt. it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, first thing I did is cut his bangs to look like simple ch- simple buck. <laughs> Simple Jack from Tropic Thunder. You have Thunder. a picture of that? Uh, I recorded the whole thing, but he started crying. <laughs> and, it, and then and, and I was drunk Sorry. and I started going, this is how you raise a man. This is how, and my wife's oh. like, you're being a bully now. <laughs> oh I, was my like, God. I was like, if my uncles would have never let me cry. No, and, and, oh. and his dad's drunk and his dad's like, he made the bed. He's got a lie in it. And my uh, yeah, it was, it became a big. And where is that child today? He was at my house making smash burgers last night. <laughs> You took him uh, home? No, you didn't. His dad's looking <laughs> for him. him. It's been two years now, and you haven't locked. He's locked in. This yeah. is, looks like a guest house, but it's really the the chamber. Yeah. So we before I, I we, we've done it a little over an hour now, and I want to I don't want to take you too long, but I, I'm curious because, like I said, I had a real meltdown, the first meal, real meltdown I've ever had in a while, and I talked about it on Two Bears One Cave. I've been I have been open and honest about my OCD, anxiety, and all that stuff. I didn't, I don't even think until I watched yours, because I remember hearing about your OCD, third hand. And when you came out about it, and it was kind of like normalized a little bit, and I may, may not have felt that way to, for you, but where you'd be in circles, like, yeah, yeah, I don't know why we're shaking hands anyway. And now that uh, coronavirus is out, it, it must have been, it must have been like, like a, a whirlwind of like, you know, that's what I've been saying this whole time, everybody. You know, people say that, but the truth of the matter is, and I make jokes about it because yeah. that's what we do, you know, but the truth is that um, the if there was any respite for me 
in my own mind, uh, you know, w- w- when intellectually you know that you're not acting right and your response is not right, but you can't control the response, that's a, that's painful. You know what yeah. I mean? I can't, I know that it's, that, you know, how many people do you know that have died from shaking hands? I, I don't know anybody, no. but, but the, but the fact is that I can't, even though I know that it, so what was, what was holding me up at the beginning was besides going to therapy and, and medication was everybody would go, you know, I'm okay. And, and everybody's okay. And you really don't have to worry. And I'm clean and I just wash my hands and you know, it's not cold and flu season and we're outside. But now with a world pandemic, there isn't any comforting words. You know, so yeah. it's not, and it's not a contest where I can go told you or that's, so we're all living in that dilemma that when this world pandemic doesn't exist, my mindset isn't any different. Yeah, And that's the problem. And this just exacerbates those thoughts. So any moment of not being on a podcast, not being on stage, not doing my show, just lying there in the dark at night. It's like a fucking cesspool of uh, scary thoughts and um, which at best couldn't just agitate me. And then being around me as I'm agitated, I I talked about it in the documentary, my wife, you know, gave me an ultimatum. If I wasn't going to get help and find some coping skills, then she was out. She was going to leave with the kids. And so the, I have some po- coping skills. I'm not saying it's still not hard. It's harder than ever. And I don't think I'm doing well through this uh, pandemic. I know a lot of people have done, are doing worse. And, uh, I, I, but it, I'm not doing well mentally, you know, through this. But uh, a, a lot of people aren't. This, uh, this pandemic, I, I talked about this. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't want anyone to think that, like, I'm very comfortable talking about all of it. But, uh, I'm not comfortable around people anymore. I used to. I used to be. I'm. I don't have a problem with cleanliness, oddly enough, but I. I used to be, meet and greets, shirtless, arms around each other, and so I had never had a problem. Now I, I have a weird problem with um, big groups start making me very nervous, and it never made me nervous ever. Well, I did. Uh, we did. Uh, we just shot a gala for just for last, even though we don't have the actual event up in Montreal. We shot something here, and. Uh, I talked about how for 45 years I've been doing comedy and I think the longest I've gone without being on stage is two and a half weeks until this two years. Yeah. And my wife actually forced me to get back up on stage. And I got up at the West side comedy club for the first time in two years to try to put together. And I just, I just became soaked with sweat within the first second. And there were people that were too close and there were people not wearing masks because they're drinking, they have, they have a beer and it's legal and you can yeah. be inside like that. And it just freaked me out. So I started going over to Supernova. Have you gone over there? Yeah, outdoor venue? Yeah. I haven't done it yet. Yeah. I've been, my, I just, this is my first week home really. You're vaxxed, right? I'm vaxxed. I got tested yesterday for this. I'm like, I'm, but I, here's my thing is I'm, I am because I, I because I, I, we call it big brain, little brain with me. So like big brain is, is the bad voices and little brain is who I am. So some mornings little brain will wake up and be like, Hey, we're going to have a great day, buddy. Like, let's not look in the mirror. Cause that spot on your face, you don't want to think about what that is. And then I'm like, great. And he's like, let's go get some coffee. Wait, coffee's a bad idea. Coffee brings big brain out. And then 
All of a sudden, Big Brain wakes up. He's like, what the fuck? Why didn't anybody wake me up? We got to go to the airport today. We're fucking dying. We're dying. We're drinking today. We're definitely drinking. But th- this one in Denver, Denver airport was packed. And I've oh, never shit. been around that many people that that I'm cool at a club. I'm cool at a venue. I'm cool backstage. But in Denver airport, I just started going. Like, people aren't. Attack. Yeah. And I and I and it. I'm with my wife. My wife drops a rental car off. My daughters go get in the non TSA line. I'm I can't go through and not let them get through. I'm and my I just started melting down, and and uh, and at at one point there's we're sitting in a restaurant over to the corner away from everybody, and I I have this thing that happens when I get bad where I I just can't see past my knees is what I call it. Like I'm I'm just here and I and my body is just wrecked and I'm trying to do breathing exercises and my wife's like. Hey, like get a drink or something. And I couldn't drink anything. I couldn't, I didn't want alcohol. It just made me want to throw up. And I, and, and then, and then we get on the plane and I'm like, I felt like for the first time, I felt like I did when I go scuba diving. So I get a panic attack scuba diving. Then why do you keep going? But it was all for television. I just had to do it. And so, um, I started going like, I'm, I'm getting claustrophobic. And then I was like, I just started laughing and kind of crying going like, what the fuck am I doing? Like this is my wife. And then we got home. And as soon as I get home, it's gone. I'm in my house. I'm in my yard. We're relaxed. I, we have a glass of wine. And she's like, she's like, this is, this is kind of crazy. She was like, you know, I, I, I've never seen you that bad. And I was like, oh, I've been that bad before. Where, but for me, it's like, it's weird things. Like one word or one phrase from a song will keep trigger repeating. Oh, yeah. And and it'll just, I'll just keep repeating that over and over again. And well, you know, I explain to people that obsessive compulsive disorder, like everybody goes, I have a little bit of that. And and what it is, is you, you just described it c- kind of perfectly, but you get these, you get these thoughts, these thoughts that maybe make no sense, like I'm going to die and that's it. And, but so much so you can't stop them from uh, repeating, repeating, repeating so much so, and this is what OCD is so much so that it stops your life. You know, I can't function. I've missed meetings. I've missed things because, you know, I'll be at home checking the door 3,800 times and smash my, and I know that I've checked it. And then I I smash my knuckle into it, almost break my knuckle and cut my hand just so that that pain will tell me, but I can't even work through that pain. I go, maybe I loosened it now. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to check it again. And then my wife goes, stop checking it. And I go, because you're telling me to stop, I got to go check it. We get in a big fight. She walks away. I miss the whole evening. And it's just, it's hell for everybody around me, including myself. Oh, uh, I, I set booby traps around the house. So I'll put like skateboards on doors so that if anyone, like I, I'll lock the doors and I go, that didn't do it. You want to hear about a bad one, a real bad one I had? Yeah. So when we were renovating that house, we had an outdoor grill, like a little camping grill with little tiny propane. And my wife says, uh, oh, did we leave? Because people were breaking in and stealing from our front yard. She goes, did we bring the little grill in? And I went, uh, no, I don't think I did. And she goes, well, we should get it. So I bring it in and she goes, did you bleed the the propane. Tank, the propane i said i didn't and she goes we'll definitely do that and then make to make sure it's off so i turn it on to bleed it and i let it run and it's been running and she goes hey yeah. dickhead did you turn off the propane and i went i don't think so she goes you've just been putting propane in our house and i was like oh my god no, i just didn't. filled up our living with propane so i turn it off and then and then she's like all right don't worry we're gonna be fine and i'm like oh we're gonna be fine and I'm thinking, if I don't do the math on this, if I don't figure this out, so my daughters are in a different room, and then I Google propane. Propane sinks to the ground, and I was like, but my wife and I are in a bed, 
My daughters are in bunk beds. They should be fine. At least if we die, they live. And then, and then I'm sitting in the bed going, starting to fall asleep. I go, it's the propane. <laughs> the propane's killing me. And so this is the one fix I had is I took the cat and took it off the bed on the floor and I just watched the cat and I was like, all right, if the cat is alive for the next 10 minutes, we're going to make it. What do they put down? It's like the bird in a coal mine. Yeah, you, you canary in a coal mine. Right. And so. Plus but, the fact that you got to worry now that if anybody ever finds all your searches, oh. it looks like you're trying to kill your family. Yeah. Where Dude, does propane, I how wish, fast does propane travel? I wish I could, like, I, 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 I can get through it. I get through it. And and I hide it a lot. A lot of mine are um, double numbers. If I ever see double numbers, I gotta say a prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, if uh, I I, I have to kiss my daughters before they go to school because I think that if I don't kiss them, then they'll get out the door quicker, and then they'll will, they'll won't catch the red light. It. And then and today I got in my car. My it's, it's almost like I can't even control my brain. My brain will go. Hey, say goodbye to your wife, or maybe you'll miss the light and you'll get right. Car. But here's the here's the thing: you're intelligent enough that when you tell these stories out loud, and you know that there's listeners going, "Wow, that's like crazy." Yeah, we know it's crazy. Yeah, that's what makes it tougher because we can't. It's just it seems silly. I have the uh, a lot of that, a ton yeah. of that, and it it takes up so much energy and so much time. But even the fact is, like you know that if you see an eleven, you don't have to pray. 11 is my number. Why'd you say 11? 11's my number. Okay. 11 is my number. Double number. If I see 11, 11, I get on the treadmill mm-hmm. and I will, and I sometimes have to, have to put a towel over the numbers because I end up spending the whole time looking for double numbers. And so I spend the whole time, I don't know why, but it's 207. So I, I, I whenever 207, so when I'm on a treadmill, I have to see, I can't miss 207. That's the one time I got to look at the numbers. Then I got to see 1207. Then I got to see 2207. <laughs> and then funny. if I'm going to do 30 minutes, then I got to stop at 3207. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So if I'm on the treadmill, it's 1111 or it's 1212. But if it's 1221, then that's a you for me, right? So I, and, and I'll, instead of saying my prayer, if I see 1221, that's still okay. It's not the best, but I can go like this. And I'm, and it, I'm, I, it, and I, 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 I'm, it's, it it makes me crazy because I and it doesn't I, make you crazy and you can't yeah. control it. Yeah, I can't. I'm sitting there. I'm doing on the treadmill. My daughter's in there, and I do my prayer. I've done it on Two Bears One Cave. Tom's seen me where I look at the camera and and I see the thing, and uh, and I do the prayer. And he goes, "What the fuck are you doing?" And I go, "Nothing, dude. Don't worry about it." And I just do it. I don't care. I don't really care. I know there's people dealing with it too. And uh, well, a lot of people are dealing with it, but if it infringes on your product productivity in yeah. your relationship being a father being a comedian being a host as soon as it starts infringing and it was infringing on our relationship my wife and i so uh i've got some coping skills it's really hard and my kids have it too you know uh, and they're adults now so they're- that's what the, i stopped i stopped doing i could get out of the per, the little thing i do when i see double numbers when my kids are around because i don't want them seeing it and i go it's better for me to have the bad thing that happens to me than my kids get this shit because if they well, that's nature versus nurture. So that, that I don't know because they see you doing it, if they're going to get it as much as there is something. Uh, I mean, there is studies, and I'm not an expert, and I'm not a doctor that it can be genetic. And I, my kids are all adults now. I have grandkids, so uh, two out of three of them are have issues. My dad's got panic. My sisters both have panic. I have panic. Both my daughters got it young, got panic attacks young, and my wife, like a gangster just was like, they're not going through what you go through and got them into therapy immediately. My wife too. And yeah, and and my daughters, my daughter said to me, 
you need to find some at the airport she goes you should go to the doctor we went to i was like she was dealing with children she goes dad it's the same disorder she was like and this is my smart oldest kid. daughter she goes same disorder dad you need coping mechanisms you need coping mechanisms pretty smart that's the same kid yeah. that did half a prank that, yeah that is and yeah now she's learned yeah georgia may kid. yeah she's an interesting kid she is but uh i always thought that i would grow up get married have kids and teach them about the world but i grew up had kids and they continue to teach me about the world they become a lot smarter and you learn how your words affect another human being you learn how you know you learn about life just by watching somebody and you know just to end this but going back to the beginning of this conversation when we both talked and found it alike when you're told no yeah. that's the thing we want to do but watch an infant anybody who's got a kid the kid's sitting in a high chair at the table and you go don't touch that and they look at you and they just they reach they want to see what the what, what is the boundary yeah when you say don't do that you know there was a thing on tiktok a couple of months ago where people were taking candies and they put the candies in front of the kids did you see that and they go mommy will be back in a minute don't eat the candy until yeah, mommy yeah, gets yeah, back yeah. and then they left the kid with the candy and you see how many kids were just staring at the candies and couldn't leave them there the truth is we don't, the only difference between me as an infant and me as an adult is I, I shit my pants a little less, but I think I have the, I think I have the same persona yeah. that I've always had. And I am that baby. I used to think that people grow up and then they, they run the world. Boy, adults know what they're doing. And then I realized that asshole that was sitting next to me, picking his nose is, you know, running the, you know, he's in, he's a governor now. You, yeah. really, you know, yeah. it's just yeah. so fucking weird. Well, that- I got to tell you, this was an absolute honor to have you on my podcast. I'm a huge fan. I've been a huge fan for thank you, probably your entire career practically. And uh, and I I can't tell you. I well, just- thanks. You got a beautiful place here. This is pretty amazing. Thank and, you. Uh, I am a fan and I've been watching you for a, for a long time now. And uh, come on my podcast. I would love that. Howie Mandel that. does stuff wherever podcasts are available. And you got the new documentary that's on Peacock. It's on Peacock. Uh, yes. Enough about me. Enough about me. Yeah, it was a great documentary. Yeah, what are I you really doing next? It. You on the road? Uh, I am. Uh, I'm. I'm on the road. I had, a, I had such a bad experience in the airport. I'm on the road all of October. I'm just going to live in the tour bus. And so, uh, are you? You're not going to stay in a hotel? You no. Gonna... I, I, I also a little about COVID. I want to make sure we're safe, so I put us in a bubble. So everyone stays on the tour bus. We have zero contact. We did that. We we toured throughout the pandemic. Who opens for you? Uh, Steve Fury. Jesus Trejo, Shane Torres, and Dave Williamson. Oh, and wow. So, so that's a lot for your money. We, we switch them out. We switch them out. We do two and two. So everyone kind of jumps on and off. And then, uh, and then, but during the pandemic, they were all on the tour bus with us. And we toured, did 60 drive in movie theaters. No one ever got COVID. No one. And that was knock. all. Yeah. Yeah. Knock on wood. But, but that's uh, great. Did you like that drive in thing? I loved it. Did with the people honking? no no they didn't honk see i was I, I was not to toot my own horn but i was the one that came up with the concept and so i was the first person to do it i did it out of uh um that's why i got the variety award pretty much is that i did it me and nick newsforo set it up we did it with uh, hotbox and we did the first one in north carolina to see if it would work we did four dates and i loved it i loved it because yeah. it gave people an opportunity to get out of their house to stay safe and to put on a show. And we ended up doing 60 cities. And wow. and I ended up loving it. But honking during the drive-in, I wouldn't allow. And I told everyone, like I talked to Gaffin. Well, well, how'd you hear the laugh? I heard you listen to him. In the like, car, the window, windows are open? Oh, no, no. So for mine, everyone had an, an, an isolated space, like a designated space where they could get out, 
oh, put they their chairs out of the car. Yeah, they, it was a drive-in, so they could get out, put it, put their chairs out, put out hibachis. They were grilling. They were pre-partying. They were tailgating. They were. It was. It was. They were smoking meats. It was amazing. And everyone stayed into their own little locations. If you went into the bathrooms, you had to put a mask on, and it was zero contact for everyone. And they were out of their cars. It was just like doing an outdoor show. Wow. Yeah. So I didn't know you started that. Yeah. Yeah. I. I the day lockdown started. Uh, my special aired. Stay at home orders come in on the thirteenth, fifteenth. My special aired on Netflix on the seventeenth, and on the seventeenth, I I got it's that brain that we have where I go, I can't, I'm not I'm not just gonna sit and this I need to get out and tour. But that and that special blew up though. It was, it was more people. Yeah, it did pretty good. With lockdown orders are pretty good for a special. They are. <laughs> we don't wish on it, but it's we uh, don't wish uh, on it, but <laughs> but thanks for having hey, me. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. My pleasure. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.